This is episode four in a mini-series of podcasts, an introduction to the life and work of John Knox, Scotland's reformer. I've deliberately kept the first three episodes short and easy to digest. But this last episode will be slightly longer as we consider Knox, the man himself. Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. During the months of July and August, we'll be looking at John Knox, Scotland's reformer. If you'd like to learn more about John Knox, and there is a lot to learn, there's plenty of resources online. And if you prefer books, a good starting point is an excellent little primer, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. It's just 100 pages, and it's packed with fast-moving information about Knox. And there's a link to buy the book on www semper-reformata.com throughout July and August. Just follow the link in the episode notes. The book costs just £5.49. A small part of that goes to support this podcast. The Book of the Month, John Knox, Fearless Faith, by Stephen Lawson. Knox seems to get a bad press from secular historians and commentators. The common perception of Knox is that he was a dour, dismal, stern-mannered man, austere and dark, the man who set the tone of future Scottish Presbyterianism with its morbid worship, its uncompromising preaching and its joyless singing. Well, not an expression I would use but the expression Dur Presbyterian has become a religious trope used by secular social commentators who lack any understanding of the Reformed understanding of the holiness of God. There is a building in central Edinburgh that you can visit called John Knox House. It's a great tourist attraction, but Knox's connection with it is extremely minor, perhaps even tenuous. He may just have lived there for a short time before he died. I visited it away back in the 1980s, and one of its features is the ceiling in one of the upstairs rooms, where there is a painted image of a woman in the poise of a devil. Now think about that. It's called the John Knox House, and the ceiling depicts a woman as the devil, and the impression left with the casual visitor is that Knox must have hated woman. But a glance at the visitor leaflet explains that the ceiling mural was painted in or around 1660, and Knox died on the 24th of November, 1572, long before that mural was painted. That undeserved reputation. Maybe because of a pamphlet that Knox had written. Like all the biblical reformers, Knox was opposed to women preachers and teachers, as is clearly taught in the scriptures, and in his little pamphlet, The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Rule of Women, 
he extends that scriptural belief concerning the church to the state. And he pulls absolutely no punches when he asserts that national rule by women is contrary to both natural law and to the teaching of the scriptures. The pamphlet was aimed at the three women who wielded power in England, Scotland and France at that time. The English ruler he was referring to was Bloody Mary. But its publication coincided with Mary's death and with the accession of Elizabeth I, a moderate Protestant, to the throne. In response, Elizabeth barred him from entry to England. So leaving aside the myth, leaving aside the impression given by the John Knox house to the tourists, what was John Knox really like? What kind of a man was he? Well, Knox was a family man. He was married twice. He had met his first wife, Marjorie Bowes, during his ministry in England, following his return from enslavement by the French. Both Marjorie and her mother had attended some services where John Knox was preaching, and both had found saving faith in Christ. They struck up a deep friendship, and they became engaged, and it broke John Knox's heart when he had to leave her behind and flee to Europe. But they continued to correspond, and in 1555, Knox quietly returned to Scotland for a short time, and they married there, in Edinburgh. They had two sons, Nathaniel and Eliazar, and by all accounts they enjoyed a happy family life together, with Mrs. Bowes, Marjorie's mother, living with them. Sadly, though, the marriage was short-lived, for just five years later Marjorie died. Knox was bereft. He sent the boys away to England for their safety, to grow up under the care of their grandmother. It was later in his life, aged around fifty, that Knox married his second wife, Margaret Stewart, the daughter of a friend, Lord Ogletree. It was an unusual marriage in our terms, not just because of the age difference. She was only seventeen at the time, but that wasn't so unusual in those days, but because of her family's connections. As a member of the Stuart Royal House, a direct descendant of King James II, Margaret was related to the Queen, to Mary, Queen of Scots. It was a fact that annoyed the Queen very greatly indeed. John and Margaret Knox had three daughters, and, as would have been expected, Margaret outlived her husband by many years. Knox was a family man. But I suppose when we think about Knox, we remember that he was a deeply spiritual Christian. Knox was a man of very deep personal piety. You can see this in his attitude to his calling to the ministry. Knox had trained for the ministry. He had been appointed a priest in holy orders by a Roman Catholic bishop, and yet when he was invited to become the pastor of a Reformed church, Knox realised the heavy spiritual burden that would lie upon him. He agonised for a long time over the decision, seeking assurance from God, praying for guidance, until he was satisfied that this calling was actually God's will and that he must answer the call. Knox served the Lord in many different churches right throughout his lifetime. He ministered at St Andrews, at Berwick, Newcastle, London, Frankfurt, Geneva, in St Giles in Edinburgh, and on every occasion he would pray for direction and seek counselling from other Christian brethren before accepting a call to the ministry. 
But we see the depth of Nock's spirituality in his attitude to prayer. In Scotland, Knox was just as well known for his prayer life as for his preaching. There's an anecdote about it. It is said that the reformer was found on his knees before a service, crying out to God, Give me Scotland, Lord, or I die. And Mary, Queen of Scots, is supposed to have said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. A book of prayers of John Knox has been published by Reformation Heritage Books, and there's a link to that book in the episode notes. Knox, of course, was a faithful pastor and preacher. It was in that area of life that perhaps Knox is best known and remembered. His sermons were uncompromising and were strictly biblical. Knox firmly believed in the authority and inspiration of the Bible. Knox believed in preaching consecutively through a book of the Bible or through a large portion of Scripture week by week, service by service. Not for him the modern idea of preaching on a single verse or stringing together a series of unrelated texts. Preaching consisted of half an hour or more of opening and explaining the text, followed by enthusiastic and direct application of the text to those who were listening. It was that direct application that often brought him into conflict with the authorities. Knox believed that the woes of the land and the immorality and godlessness of his day would be dealt with by a strong biblical message delivered fearlessly from the pulpit. When he denounced Mary, Queen of Scots, for her public celebration of the massacre of the French Huguenots, Mary called him to Holyrood and asked him why he could not have issued this rebuke to her face privately as he had dishonoured her in public. Knox responded by warning her that his calling was to a public function within the Church of God. He said, I am appointed by God to rebuke the sins and vices of all. Certainly Knox's sermons would never be considered to be boring. Unlike many of the English Puritans, Knox preached with great passion and enthusiasm. In his last days, he continued to preach up until a few weeks before his death, brought to the church and helped into the pulpit by his secretary and friend, Richard Ballantyne, preaching slowly and deliberately while Ballantyne supported him, holding him by the arm. But then as the sermon progressed, he would forget his infirmities. He'd forget the frailty of old age. He would become his old self. He would become enthusiastic and animated in his delivery. James Melville, a student at St Andrews at the time, listening to Knox, later wrote in his autobiography, Knox was so active that he was like to hit the pulpit in bits and fly out of it. But Knox's sermons were by no means off-the-cuff deliveries. 
his preparation for preaching was intense. Much has been made of Knox's prayers before he would preach, how he would surround every word with prayer, but Knox loved his study. He loved to be surrounded by his books and to read widely on the texts that he was preparing to preach. He read exegetical works. He read technical commentaries by both contemporary and ancient authors and preachers. And needless to say, Knox abhorred all the trappings of Roman worship and the Reformation, high altars, vestments, bowing down, masses, genuflecting, organs, all were done away with. Worship became subject to the Word of God, what we now refer to as the regulative principle of worship. And in Knox's churches, firstly in Geneva and then in Scotland, worship was the essence of simplicity. Preaching was given primacy. Prayers were led by a godly pastor. Congregational participation was limited to the singing of inspired psalms. Knox was the main author of the Reformed Book of Common Order, a manual for ministers and elders to help in establishing good order in churches. And while Knox was the pastor of several churches, his ministry was not confined to those churches, for he would travel extensively throughout Scotland to preach and to teach. And remember, travel wasn't easy at that time. Long journeys were exhausting. And yet, even in his old age, when frailty had taken its toll, Knox travelled to preach. So Knox was a family man deeply spiritual Christian, a faithful pastor and preacher, and a fearless man, fearless for Christ under all manner of hardships and persecution. There's one characteristic of John Knox that we must never miss, and that is his persistence, his perseverance under persecution and pressure. Knox was totally fearless. He is thought to have said that one man with God is always a majority. But then someone will ask, didn't Knox run away when Mary Tudor's persecution was raging in England and when faithful Christians were being imprisoned and burned at the stake? Yes, he did. And it greatly troubled him. And he lamented over the fate of Christians in England. And he missed his friends. And he missed Marjorie, his fiancée. But while he was in Europe, God was preparing him for greater things. And when he returned to Scotland, he was greatly chastened by it. And he was strengthened in the faith. And he would never back down, even in the presence of his fiercest enemies. One of those enemies was Mary, Queen of Scots. Knox was summoned into her presence five times to give account of some of the things that he had said in sermons. On every occasion, he spoke respectfully, referring to the Queen as Madam, Your Majesty, Your Grace, and so on, but always speaking truthfully and plainly and candidly, even though some of the truths he led at her door left her reduced to tears. John Knox died at Edinburgh on the 24th of November, 1572. His wife and his family and his friends were around his bedside. His wife Margaret read to him from 1 Corinthians 15 and from John 17. 
and read a portion of a sermon by Calvin on Ephesians. Ian Murray, writing in his book John Knox and the Reformation, writes that Richard Ballantyne recorded, In this manner departed this man of God, the light of Scotland, the comfort of the church within the same, the mirror of godliness, and the pattern and example of all true ministers. Let's finish with a little bit of murder, mystery and intrigue. Mary, Queen of Scots, had become implicated in a murder plot. She'd been married to the Dauphin of France, but he had died and she had decided to win the affections of the son of Philip II of Spain, Don Carlos. Elizabeth I disapproved of this, and through some diplomacy had Mary introduced to the young son of Matthew Stewart, the Earl of Lennox, one Henry, Lord Darnley. Henry was just 18 at the time, and they married and Mary conferred the title of king upon him. But the marriage was short-lived, for he was murdered in 1566. At first sight, it appeared that he had died in an explosion at a house outside Edinburgh. But on examination of the remains, Henry was found to have been strangled. A murder investigation began and the chief suspect was one James Hepburn, the Earl of Bothwell, who it seems had been involved in a romantic or sexual liaison with Mary, Queen of Scots, behind her husband's back. The fact that Mary and the Earl of Bothwell married just three months after her husband's death added fuel to the fire, and the Protestant noblemen rebelled against her. She surrendered to them on the 15th of June, 1567 and was brought to Edinburgh where she faced calls for her execution. After a period of imprisonment, Mary eventually made it to England, where she was executed for treason, but not before she was forced to abdicate the throne, and her infant son James became king at just over a year old. John Knox preached at his coronation in Stirling, and it was that James, James VI of Scotland, who became James I of England, he of the King James Bible, and it was his son Charles I, whose Archbishop of Canterbury attempted to impose an Anglican liturgy upon the Scottish Church, and thus began the covenanting struggle.
knowing our history is really important. And I hope that you have enjoyed our short introduction to John Knox and that it has whet your appetite to learn more, more about Knox, certainly, but perhaps even more about church history. I'll try to do some more church history podcasts throughout the rest of this year, as time permits and God willing. I want to do it just to help Christians to understand that we are really just the most recent generation of 2,000 years of faithful Christian believers, all the way from the book of Acts until the day when the Lord returns, his people have been faithfully serving him. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's learn about them. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.